adversaries are relentless, and they're only getting smarter, faster, and more sophisticated. Knowing their game is the only way to beat them. That's why we're here. Learn what it takes to protect against even the most sophisticated attacks. Welcome to the Adversary Universe podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the CrowdStrike Adversary Universe podcast. Bienvenidos. Je m'appelle Christian Rodriguez for my uh, my Canadian folks and my folks in France and also my folks that are in the French side of Saint Martin, or should I say Saint Martin? And for my Dutch folks, Goedemorgen, Goedemiddag. So why am I speaking all these weird languages? Well, because today we are going to take another dive into the world of AI and large language models. See what I did there? Yeah, you guys will get it. And today I have a really great guest. This is not just a, a great guest because he's my boss, so I should actually be on my best behavior. But uh, this person actually has been here with Project for quite some time. I'll let him explain uh, his background, but welcome to the show for the first time, Mr. Ilya Zaitsev. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Christian. And personally, as your boss, I'd recommend you be on your worst behavior because I think we'll, we'll have a lot more fun that way. <laughs> You're absolutely right. So um, hopefully this uh, episode isn't edited or over-edited because I think we're going to have a lot of fun talking about AI and, and uh, LLM. Um, but before we dive uh, too deep into this, um, I would love for you to spend a little time kind of explaining your background and you know how long you've been at CrowdStrike for for our listeners, because we, we're, we're introducing a, a, a broader cast, if you will, of guests. And I think that your background is fantastic. I, I know you're one of the reasons why I joined CrowdStrike. So again, thank you for hiring me so long ago. Um, but you, go ahead and share a bit of background on, on kind of your story and your journey here. At the company. Sure. And thanks for not giving me any good reasons to fire you in all these years. That's, <laughs> I've, I've that's really made my life uh, yeah. a lot better. I'm trying. Um, so I guess I'll... I won't go all the way to the beginning, you know, with my parents coming over the boat from the Soviet Union or anything like that. But why don't we start at, I guess, the the job I had before I joined CrowdStrike. I was at my my previous gig. It was not in cybersecurity, um, but it was at a company that ultimately formed a partnership uh, with a a company that doesn't exist anymore, at least by name. It was called McAfee for hmm. you know the the old viewers who may remember. Uh, I never heard of it. Listener, <laughs> sorry, you we're a podcast, right? Yeah, so we're a podcast audio only. <laughs> um, so I had uh, started working with through a partnership between my company and McAfee um, with a couple of senior leaders at at uh, McAfee, including uh, not one but two of the co-founders of CrowdStrike, and we were building an integration together. Um, I actually did most of the development there and we did a bit of a, a road show. I ended up going out to their user conference and we pitched it to a, a bunch of, you know, prospective customers, joint customers. Um, I won't go into the details. It didn't really go anywhere, but I kept in touch with some of the folks I had met and we, you know, formed a bit of a friendship and, uh, you know, fast forward, I think it was about a year and a half, two years. They had, you know, left, they had started CrowdStrike. CrowdStrike was in stealth mode. I had no idea what they were doing. I remember following them in the news and people thought they were a, a hackback company. I do remember Back that. in those days, yes. they thought that, you know, they were basically mercenaries. You'd pay them to go like get your data back and like <laughs> blow up, you know, the servers yeah. of the yeah. bad guys. And like, the, like the Liam Neesons of cybersecurity, right? Right, right. Like yeah. the, uh, the Taken <laughs> style. Like, style. <laughs> You've taken my data and I've got a special <laughs> set of skills, right? Um, anywho, so they, they approached me. Um, it was about a year 
year and a half maybe after the uh, company was founded and they were getting ready to exit stealth mode and they gave me a bit of a pitch of, you know, we're about to launch this, uh, you know, our flagship product and then point security product. And they kind of took me through the, uh, there was no actual product back then. They said it was going to be ready in a few weeks. It was more like six <laughs> or eight months. Um, and they we asked got me, them. yeah, <laughs> exactly. They got me hook, line and sinker. Um, but they asked me to join and be the first sales engineer at the company, which was the uh, position I was in at my, at my prior, my prior job. And, um, for a variety of reasons, including that the technology just seems so damn cool, um, I, I accepted. So I started uh, again January 2013. Um, you know, ultimately the the sales engineering team started growing and expanding. We hired a couple of losers like yourself. Oh, sorry, yeah. winners like yeah. yourself. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're one of the. I think you're like the third or fourth yeah, third, yeah. at the company at the yeah. time, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. Company kept growing. I, I moved into a, uh, a management and leadership role and. Um, I was at the end of that tenure on the sales side, I was, um, running the America sales engineering team and they gave me my offer. I couldn't refuse and mm -hmm. asked me to move over into the office of the CTO and serve as the America's, uh, CTO, which I accepted. Um, glad I did. It was kind of funky because right after that happened, COVID struck and the world shut down. So oh, yeah, extra that. weird starting a very new role and you know, the world is kind of closed for a bit, but yeah. You know, we, we persevered and, uh, I was in that role for about three years. And then, um, Mike was promoted to be president at CrowdStrike and I was promoted to backfill him as the global CTO here at CrowdStrike. Awesome. And then, you know, brought along some other folks for the ride, including yourself. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. And, uh, no, thanks for that story. And thanks for the backdrop, because I think it helps, uh, contextually give our listeners a perspective on your journey and a lot of the things that you've seen especially as we get into, um, into today's topic. So uh, we have incorporated the concept of AI into previous episodes. Uh, I know this is going to be a topic that we won't slow down uh, discussing as, as AI becomes a little more embedded into not only what we do here at CrowdStrike, but what we're seeing from an adversary perspective. Adam actually covered some of this topic on some, um, some write-ups. We have some, some blog posts out there if you want to take a look at our, uh, at our site. We have some really great write-ups on how we've been using AI, but I think, you know, what, here's an interesting question, right? Why, why is AI and large language models or why are they becoming so, you know, such hot topics? They've just kind of exploded over the past eight months. I use it with my son, for example, just to review some of his homework and make sure that I'm still uh, familiar with uh, chemistry terms and uh, algebraic equations. Uh, but, you know, tell me kind of your perspective. You're seeing it everywhere, but why, why now all of a sudden, right? Is LLM and AI such a big topic? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it kind of goes without saying, but I think most of, uh, most of the listeners will know that, you know, AI is, is not new. AI being used in cybersecurity is certainly not new. I mean, we've been using various forms of artificial intelligence, um, pretty much since the, the platform was launched. It's one of the reasons we created the platform, why we've been able to be successful. It's, uh, the bedrock of what we're doing with our, you know, next gen AV technology and uh, we were one of the first ones out there, but it's pretty, pretty standard nowadays that just about every endpoint security vendor is using some sort of machine learning classifier, um, you know, in their technology. So that part's not new. Um, the, the new part is what you alluded to. It's, um, you know, this concept of generative AI and specifically, um, one of the main approaches or so one of the main technologies powering these new generative AI systems, uh, LLMs or large language models. Um, so that, that's a bit of an interesting story. I mean, 
so the first thing I guess worth pointing out is why, why these systems are different. Um, not all, and I'm going to, I'm going to generalize a lot of things, uh, for, you know, a, a lay person who may be listening. <laughs> if you're, if you're a data scientist and you're listening to this podcast, like an actual data scientist, you may want to you know, do some breathing exercises or just skip ahead a few <laughs> yeah. minutes because you know, yeah, keep listening. Don't lose your patience. Yeah. 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 Just, you know, look, I'm, I'm trying to simplify Hang this for people that don't do this, you know, for a living, but you know, a lot of the, um, you know, AI technologies that have been used uh, commercially for, for many years now, well over a decade, you know, they tend to fall into a lot of them are you know, machine learning technologies, um, which is like, like an older category of of AI, supervised, unsupervised machine learning. And they typically have done at the end of the day, one thing, they, they, they do classification. So like the classic example in cybersecurity that's been used for ages um, has been static analysis of binaries, AKA here's a, an executable, it's unknown, untrusted, um, is it good or bad, right? Is it <laughs> benign or malicious? And basically you train it on a whole bunch of examples of here's what, here's known bad, here's known good, Let's do some training. Let's build a classifier and then let's send it the details of an unknown file and ask it, um, you know, on a scale of zero to 100, is it more likely good? Is it more likely bad? Sure. And of course, you, know, you, you decide you, your threshold of what percent confidence you want to be, you know, sure that it's not sure you're never sure, but probabilistically, like, are you okay with 90%, 95%? You know, at some point you, you breach that threshold and you say, yep, it's a bad file. It's most likely a bad file, you know, block it, detect it. Etc. Um, these new generative systems, though, take a very different approach. They're no longer doing simple classification. Um, they're, as the name implies, they're generating content, right? They're creating stories, summaries, papers, rap songs, right? Yeah. Uh, combining uh, voices of artists that no longer exist. They're creating, you know, new new pictures, new images, videos. So that's a that's a whole different ballgame. It sure one, is. Yeah. Right? You're not just classifying, you're creating. Yeah. The other interesting thing about these technologies, especially what they call frontier models. So frontier models think the, the biggest, most sophisticated large language models out there, you know, your, your chat GPTs, your Claude's, et cetera. Um, they have this capability known as instruction following, which is particularly interesting where I can take this general system and basically without having to do a lot of pre-training or teaching, use that like corpus of knowledge it has and have it perform novel tasks with little or no you know, preparation ahead of time, which is a, a really incredible property when you think about it. It's the closest thing we've come so far to this concept of, you know, um, uh, AGI, right? Advanced General Artificial Intelligence, intelligence yeah, or General Artificial Intelligence. Yeah. The core underlying um, technology that makes up most of, you know, the LLMs that you're hearing about today is something called transformers, which um, transformers basically were brought to the attention of the world uh, in a paper. I think uh, a couple of researchers, I believe it was at Google, published it like back in 2017. I'm fighting an Optimus Prime joke right now, but uh, keep going. Transformers, like yeah, da, da, yeah, da, da, exactly. Da, da, da. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah this yeah, is like yeah. so. We're doing like the the non Decepticon <laughs> version, right? This, this is the Autobot one. We're doing. I love this. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think the original paper was called attention is all you need, which is a reference to something called attention masks. Um, anyway, I won't, I won't get into too much detail there. I'm going to ask the question that you'd hopefully ask me next is, well, if it came out in 2017, like why is it 2023 when that stuff is all blowing up? Yeah. Um, 
the reason or late 2022 right just for anyone yeah yeah, like like, yeah, Yeah. towards the end of 2022 beginning of 2023 what what happened the big change that happened was the researchers kept increasing the size of these models the training set the parameters you'll hear it called a lot like every time you hear about some new model they talk about it's got 70 billion 300 billion a trillion you know parameters and happy to go into like what exactly that means and how you build these models but the funny thing that happened is this concept of emergent behavior. Um, you know, these things didn't seem that smart. They didn't really do a whole lot. They weren't any better. Um, and they were being applied to a lot of these older, like classifiers, classifier style problems. And all of a sudden we got to a certain level. There was enough computational power. There was enough training data and boom, you know, again, this concept of emergent behavior occurs and all of a sudden all these new capabilities, this instruction following type behavior, which was never exhibited by these earlier, smaller models just started happening. Um, uh, there's two analogies I like to use to like explain this concept of emergent behavior. Um, think about ants, right? Think about a single ant, okay. a single ant doesn't really do anything too impressive, right? You take two ants, um, they can, they can communicate a little bit, right? They rub each other. They pass like chemical pheromone type things, but they can translate, I mean, they could transfer like one or two bits of information, like food here, food there, go left, go right, intruder. You know, one or two ants doesn't do anything impressive, but you magnify, you scale that up, right? You have thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of ants in a colony, all still individually only able to pass a little bit of information, but now they start coordinating as this hive organism and they can start to do some pretty amazing complex things once they get to the scale. Mm. And the other quick mm. example is, consciousness, right? Um, sentience, you take a single cell organism, it's got like something similar to what our brain has. Nothing that approaches real intelligence, right? Just like basic response to external stimuli. You get to a certain point, right? You get enough density, enough of those neural, you know, connections firing, kind of similar to how these LMs work and boom, all of a sudden you've got organisms that, you know, experience emotions, have thought, you know, create art and build transformers and LLMs, right? So sure. yeah. it's this interesting thing where you cross this uh, scale boundary and all of a sudden these amazing properties start getting exhibited that you never saw before. Oh, interesting. So, so obviously the byproduct of just throwing a lot more resources at these, these models was, you know, these creative outputs, right? And we're even talking about like predictive analytics that these models are ultimately spitting out. Um, and so naturally we're, we're anticipating AI, LLM being uh, more ubiquitous, not to say that it wasn't there before, but there's just so much more, there's a big spotlight on this now, right? So, so how is that changing in your, from your perspective, how is that just changing, you know, tech industry, cyber industry, like what, what stands out to you right now? I mean, I've never seen anything, any technology domain explode, you know, this, this quickly, this, this quickly. Dr- dramatically, the, yeah. the speed that it's, you know, going at the rate, like, you follow these, um, you know, I mentioned these frontier models, right? But um, yeah. just as exciting to me are these like open source models, like the most famous one being, you know, Meta's uh, Llama, yeah. Llama framework. You know, they're not the only ones, but there's a lot of these like locally runnable, like, you know, if you've got like a decent GPU in your home computer, you can run some of these things, right? Yeah. Um, and they're not nearly as powerful and large as these frontier models, like, you know, OpenAI and Anthropic. I mean, you're talking about massive, massive GPU farms that only the largest you know, organizations in the world can afford uh, to build and create. 
but they've been the interesting thing. If you follow these, uh, open source models, they're, I call them soul stealers. Uh, that's my <laughs> term. That's not a real okay. term there, but you know, they build these models basically by asking a bunch of questions to these frontier models. So you take these super sophisticated, you know, uh, models that only a handful of organizations in the world can build. Then you ask it a bunch of questions. Then you take these question answer pairs and you could turn that into a much smaller, much more compact model. One that, you know, today you can run your home computer and not that long a period of time, you'll be running them on your cell phones, right? Mm, wow. And they're not nearly as big and powerful, but they've basically captured that essence, that instruction following capability by asking like a couple thousand, maybe 10,000 question answer pairs and training these small models. And you look at how fast those are evolving, how, how they're able to cram more and more capability in these same size or smaller models. I mean, that to me is almost as exciting. And again, just the, the rate at which that's been evolving. Um, it's, it's exciting. It's maybe frightening a little bit, but it's, it's very exciting too. Funny you say that frightening. I, I funny you use that word. I, I, I actually, um, I'm not frightened. I think there's certain areas where I feel threatened and I love music, for example, I love producing music. Um, that's my outlet of, you know, getting onto tools like logic and building music from scratch and recording. And, you know, I've seen a few, uh, engines out there that say, Hey, you know, define the type of uh, genre of music and it will output this, you know, you do tell it the BPM and the style and the, the kind of vibe and it, it gives you an output of, or at least a framework for a song that you can build upon. And we're talking about, you know, taking a process that could, you know, be hours of kind of creative, you know, a creative deep dive and it's simplifying that in, in a matter of seconds. And, um, I think I'm more frightened of, of like, wow, I think that kind of removes a lot of the creative nature behind, you know, art, the art, the art scene more than anything. For our listeners that are that, that have that have stayed on, and hopefully we haven't lost a data scientist, um, they're probably thinking like, "Well, what does this have to do with the adversary universe?" I came here for some bad guy uh, data, uh, and I think um, we've or already covered or bad girl. That's a really good point, right? Um, <laughs> we've covered some really great uh, perspective um, on how adversaries are leveraging AI in some of their offensive trade craft and and and, and playbooks. Um, but I think today we also want to spend a little time on how do we, as defenders, incorporate AI into our approach to, to, to stopping, you know, threats. And so maybe, I don't know if you want to share a little feedback on, you know, maybe to even summarize those that have not heard uh, an episode on AI and uh, an adversary's perspective on AI. Like, what are you seeing some of the bad guys doing? And then how does that tie into what, you know, we as CrowdStrike, but more importantly, the industry from a defender perspective is doing with, you know, with AI and LLM. Sure. So let's, I guess you want to start with, uh, like the 30 yeah. second version. I mean, yeah. yeah, it's hard for me to do anything in 30 seconds, uh, but a slightly <laughs> longer version of what the adversaries are doing. Yeah. Right? Let's do that. Yeah. Yeah. So you remember it goes back to what we talked about a minute ago. They're not genuinely creative. They're not, you know, they, I'm, I'm talking, I'm, you know, personifying these things, I'm anthropomorphizing them. Um, these systems, you know, they're, they're not able to do something from scratch that no one's ever done before. Not yet. I mean, maybe someday they'll start to get to a level of power where they can do things like inductive reasoning, right? Well, I know about A and B and if A equals B and maybe I'll figure out C, but they're not there yet. They're just yeah. taking things that they've seen and reassembling them. So the good news is at this time, as, as far as I'm seeing, and I think you've talked to uh, Adam Myers, our you know head of threat intel, so you'll probably be the expert on the cutting edge of what's, what's being done. But to my understanding and knowledge, you know, we're not yet seeing novel attacks, if you will. We're not seeing 
AI being used to increase the, the, the capabilities of the most sophisticated attackers out there. Yeah, right. Yeah. So like they're, they're not out hacking the greatest hackers in the world, so to speak. That's kind of sure. a corny way of saying it. But, um, what they are doing though, is they're raising the average They're You know, if you think about the script kitties of the past that would go like online and they'd copy and paste, you know, something, or they'd spin up, you know, Metasploit and, and run some automated, yeah. you know, Shodan scans and then try to execute an attack. Think of it along those lines. It's a tool that less sophisticated adversaries can use to very quickly get closer to the level of the most sophisticated adversaries out there, which don't get me wrong, that, that is a problem, right? That, yeah. that means it's that much harder for the average defender. Not the, oh, the sophistication isn't increasing, but there's a lot more sophisticated attackers out there now potentially that are leveraging this technology. Um, automation, of course, is something that both adversaries and defenders love. Uh, you know, asymmetric warfare, right? The, uh, the quicker an adversary can move, the more they can kind of flood your defenses with noise uh, and, and signals. And you know, even if you're blocking things, you still have to like triage and uh, understand like, did I block it all? Is there anything that got through? What's the root cause? You're just overwhelming, you know, defense teams, right? If you're just spamming them with all these automated attack attempts that these LLMs can start to, perf you know, they, they have the capacity to start to perform because they're just taking existing attack techniques um, and they're you know, just kind of replicating them at scale. You know, the other major area is on the social engineering side, um, which, you know, it's, it's fun to geek out about the latest, you know, zero day exploit, et cetera. But, you know, m m the most common way of getting past an organization defenses these days is, is what it's been for a while. Go, go call up an admin and say, Hey, I'm IT. I need your password, right? Yeah. Garden variety, social engineering. So if you think about the ability to craft amazing spear phishing lures that don't have any typos like you're used to seeing, right? <laughs> sure. um, you can feed it, like I can copy and paste your LinkedIn profile and put that in with the prompt and say, given this background of this individual, write me a very sophisticated spear phishing lore, right? Kind of oh, well, customize yeah. it. Well, um, yeah, absolutely. It. But anyway, so those, <laughs> those are some of the most common examples that we're seeing you know, today from the attacker's perspective. So automation, better social engineering, um, yeah, those are the primary ways that we're seeing those LLMs yeah, being yeah. used. Yeah. yeah, no, that makes sense. And I think that's very consistent with what we've discussed in the past. Okay, so let's take a look at the defender's perspective. Like, what are we doing uh, here at CrowdStrike, but really industry-wide? Where are we seeing AI, LLM just kind of really enable the defenders to, to, to be ready for, you know, an increase in attacks or an increase in the sophistication of the attacks that we're observing? Yeah, but great question. Um, so I think there's... What I'm seeing and what we're doing, you know, there's, there's probably two areas I'll focus on that's the most readily available in the near term. And then maybe we can get to some of the you know, more cutting edge or, you know, futurism of where I think it can go. So right now, um, first major area where I'm seeing generative AI have a, or it's starting to, and I think it's going to really explode in the coming months and year or two is automation and simplifying the interface for any IT tool. And of course, security sure. is no exception. Yeah. So, yeah. and this is something we're working on at CrowdStrike. Um, you know, we've, we've announced that we just started, uh, we have a couple beta customers now using our, our generative AI interface called Charlotte AI. And essentially, and th there's plenty of other systems I expect it's going to be a pretty common industry standard thing in, in the coming years. Um, it's a natural language interface for a complex platform. So, you know, what do I mean by that? Well, 
today, if I give you um, a brand new endpoint protection platform or a SIM or an NDR system, whatever it is, if you haven't used it before, I mean, you're, you're going to, what are you going to do? You're going to open up some documentation. You're going to watch some YouTube videos. You're going to yeah. take some training course. And, you know, it's going to take you some time to learn how to do this. Even if you've used a similar tool from another vendor before, you've got to learn the intricacies, the ins and outs of that specific of the tool. UI, exactly. Yep. Correct. Where to, where to do all the clicks, right? Yep. What are all exactly. the clicks and the knobs and yep. all that? What are the, what's the syntax for the API and the search commands, et cetera? Well, generative AI interfaces let you shortcut a lot of that, short circuit a lot of that. So one, instead of hunting around documentation, if you've got a model that is trained on or can access the documentation, just ask it, you know, hey, how do I do X, Y, Z? Yeah. Right. I don't Simple have enough. to, yeah. I don't have to go take a training class and wait for, you know, a qualified trainer. Um, but more, much more interesting than that to me is just ask it to do the thing for you. And this is especially true if you know what those types of technologies can do. Like if you've used, if you've used an EDR platform before, you know, the clicks might be different, the capabilities the commands might be different, but you know, there's a couple of basic things that'll do like spit out detections and block stuff, right? You can just tell it yeah. in a plain text, you know, verbal way hey, do X, Y, Z, and it'll just figure out the nuances of like, well, these are the API commands that I run and let me access that data and send it back to you. So that, that can be a pretty, you know, pretty significant time saver, yeah. right? You can help you get brand new folks ramped up much quicker. And even for the more sophisticated users, you know, I'm, I'm, I know how to use our platform extremely well, right? I know how all the API commands work, but if I have to write a very complex API statement with like lots of filters and conditional logic, I mean, that's going to take me a bit of time. Like I might yeah. have to go refer to some documentation. I'll probably screw it up a few times and do some <laughs> testing sure. before I get it right. Um, these, you know, these generative AI systems are, most of them have been trained extensively on, you know, basic things like REST API calls and JSON notation and all that. So they're very, very effective at crafting these super complex, you know, API calls and basically can operate that platform for you, even if you're an advanced user, much, much quicker you know, than the average um, analyst can. I, one little side note, by the way, internationalization is something I think is, is really cool and underlooked. Uh, these, you know, these LLM systems are usually not just trained on English, they're trained on dozens of different languages. So, you know, it's, it's very expensive and time consuming for a software vendor to localize a product, right? Yeah. Um, you've got to translate all this. There's a ton you have to translate, user interface, documentation. You know, the, at the end of the day, you're probably not going to create a Japanese version of your API. Your API is still most likely going to be, you know, in, in English, English, if you're yeah. an English speaking vendor, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's always that language barrier for your global customers. Well, these LLM systems, because they are one of their, one of their core tasks that they're really good at is translating between different languages, whether it's human language or computer yeah. language. So that's going to be, I think, a huge boon for global teams that have, you know, distributed socks and users that can now much more easily take advantage of technologies, even if English is not their first language, even if it's not localized for them. Okay. So, 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 streamlining, so you're saying streamlining of operations across these various tools, right? These cyber tools. Right? Streamlining, making it yeah. quicker and easier, yeah. helping onboard people. I mean, even, even people who aren't domain experts, like, uh, you know, take, take a, a CEO or a CISO today who's maybe not super technical and hands-on, but they read something in the paper and like, oh, there's this new vulnerability, you know, are we, are we protected? Are we vulnerable? Have we seen it? Well, today they're going to go ask, you know, their, their SOC team, right? They're one yeah. of their analysts. And 
And of course, you know, they're going to drop everything that they're doing and they're going to go answer that executive's question. But now they're not actually like, you know, defending the company, right? They're, exactly. they're busy, you know, fulfilling like an RFI basically for the board, which is important, but it's, you know, it, it's distracting from their day-to-day -day job. Exactly. Well, yeah. can I just give a generative AI system like Charlotte, can I just give, you know, the CFO access to that system and then just let them ask their question and let the AI answer it for them. It's usually going to be a pretty basic question because they're not a domain expert anyway, so they're not going to ask something super sophisticated. And now I've just freed up that SOC member to go, you know, keep the company safe, but I exactly. can still yeah. on the side, use this automation to kind of address their one-on-one questions. Love that. I love that. You know, imagine you've got a very complex incident that's occurring, you know, at a, at a company or at an organization and you know, there's multiple alerts, multiple systems, a whole bunch of different trade craft is being used and lateral movement, tons of TTPs like that MITRE attack change is lighting up like a Christmas tree, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now you're responding to it, um, you know, whether it's triage, whether you're doing instant response, you know, root cause analysis, whatever. It's a lot of data to sift through now, right? You got to go through all that information. Again, if you're, if you're not a savvy user, you're just lost. If you're a savvy user, you know what it all means, but it still takes you time to go through all that. Well, one of the other tasks that generative AI LLM systems are really, really good at is summarization. So let me just mm -hmm. give it all the details of those 50 alerts and have the LLM system just generate a summary for me like in a paragraph. Tell me what, you know, explain in two paragraphs or less what this incident's all about. What should I do about it? You know, is it serious or not? What actions should I take? How do I go clean it up? So that, that kind of summarization slash explainability, I think is another, you know, hugely valuable area that we're going to start seeing immediate, you know, gains on immediate benefits. Um, and you can even get into some more nuanced areas, like think about command line explainability. I've got this, like, you know, you ever seen one of those like 10 page long PowerShell commands, a lot that's of semicolons yeah. and like a lot of like yeah. scripts injected into the command line. Exactly. You know, again, like that's, that's like a mini reverse engineering job to go figure out what all those, you know, what that, what's the, in totality, what is this thing going to do if I let it run? Exactly. Yeah. That's the kind of activity where, again, assuming it's not completely novel and it's something no one's ever done before, you know, if it's a, if it's a command line for PowerShell, chances are somebody's done it before or something similar to it. Sure. And that's yeah. an area where you can use LM technology to really quickly just give you, give me the one sentence version of what this thing is actually going to do without me having to dissect it, reverse engineer it, you know, run it, et cetera. You can imagine extending that to actual things like reverse engineering, right? Yeah. Reverse engineering is a lot of understanding like assembler patterns, for example. Um, difficult for a human, time consuming for an expert, but if you train an LLM system on those underlying patterns, you know, you can see some pretty, probably pretty impressive results in areas sure. like that. And, and, and if anything, in a much more, um, in a much faster type of response, right? So versus having the human spend, again, hours trying to reverse engineer those efforts. Right. You're, you know, it's, so we're still talking about the concept of streamlining, uh, operational efficiencies, um, how do you, how, how does automation fit into the picture? Do you foresee, especially on the, on the defender side, every, most rather conversations I have with enterprises across the country, um, especially when talking about Charlotte, the question comes up, hey, this is amazing. This is going to save uh, so many cycles on how we respond to incidents. Um, when does AI start shaping the future for automating those responses where there's very little human interaction? Like, we're, you know, what's, your, what's your take on that? Well, it might be a bit unpopular and controversial, and I might 
you know, burst some people's bubbles, but <laughs> I'm a little bit more cautious about the full-on automation than some other folks might be, especially when you're dealing with LLM style systems. So in general, hundred percent, you know, we have to get more automated. There's just no, no way we can, yeah, there's no other way we can succeed from the defender's perspective, especially when you think about attackers using automated systems, whether it's exactly. generative AI or not, they're just, you know, 24 seven, they never sleep, they never eat, they don't take, you know, holiday breaks, they don't complain. Yeah. They just go, 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 go. Yeah. You've got to use some sort of automation on the response side, or you're just going to be hopelessly overwhelmed. Yeah. That being said, there's different types of automated systems. Some are, you know, like imperative logic-based systems. If, if X, then do Y, otherwise, you know, do Z. That's very different than an LLM style system. And I'm, I'm sure a lot, of, a lot of people who are listening today, if they've done any research on generative AI, LLM systems, they've come across the topic of hallucinations. Mm -hmm. Hallucinations are in some ways the Achilles heels of these technologies today. And it's why when you're developing systems like Charlotte, for example, there are some specific ways that are probably better than others to leverage these systems take, get the most value out of what they're good at, but also recognize, understand, and mitigate where they cause risk. And again, one of those big risks is hallucinations. LM systems are, you know, some of the most confident, capable BSers, you know, you've, you've ever <laughs> met, right? Like no matter whether, whether they're completely correct or completely wrong, they always sound really damn That's, sure of yeah, themselves. There's a lot they're, of conviction in their responses. Yeah, yeah, they're really cocky <laughs> SOBs, right? They're, they're never humble or anything, unless you tell it. Unlike, you know, an imperative logic system or, or, you know, an ML classifier, which gives you probabilities, right? I'm 95%, 98% sure this is bad. LMs don't really work that way. They give you output and maybe it's correct. Maybe it's not correct. Now, if I'm just spamming you with automated attacks, I'm not, you know, I'm not being stealthy at that point. I'm going sure. for brute force. Yeah. And if a couple of my, you know, artificial intelligence generated attacks aren't quite correct and they don't yeah. work. No big deal, yeah, right? Qu still, quality, quality control is not an yeah. issue at that point. I'm right. still DDoSing you a little <laughs> exactly. bit anyway, right? Yeah. So I'm yeah. still getting something out of it. But if you're a defender, you know, think about the classic issue of false positives and, and frankly, false negatives. Uh, mm. A false negative can, in some cases, especially if you're tied to automation, right? Like if I've got logic that says, hey, if you think something is ransomware, corn, you know, contain the machine, cut off the network connection. Well, if that machine is like a critical production facing server, if it's, you know, running, you mentioned healthcare, if it's running like a life support system or something yeah. like that, if I've got a false negative and I cut off that system, that could be more destructive than, you know, if it's genuine malware in some cases, right? You can't really, when you're dealing with automated blocking prevention response, sometimes you can't really handle a, a false positive, a, you know, a false negative. Okay. Yeah. And that's the problem with these generative AI systems. I, I, I would not necessarily um, turn them into auto block, you know, Skynet mode and do everything <laughs> for me. Sure. Yeah. I actually see these systems. And frankly, this has been a, a design philosophy at, at, at CrowdStrike, you know, for years. I think the, the concept of AI assisted humans is really what we're going to be looking at for the foreseeable future. And frankly, for a more robust capability set, yeah. these AI systems, they're not genuinely smart. They can only do what things, you know, what they've been trained on, what's been done before. We'll take that to the defensive posture, right? These AI systems aren't going to be able to create novel attacks. They're going to automate the existing stuff. Great. Let's fight automation with automation. 
I'm still going to need humans in the loop because there's still going to be humans at the other end on the adversary side. Exactly. Yep. They're going to be looking yep. for the, the new unique ways of getting through defenses. And I need humans to be able to recognize that response to it. And on the hallucination topic, I need to check the work of my AI systems. It's sure. great. I can have them like go forward and do things very quickly. But you know, for things like response, I, I'm going to still want a human in the loop for variety of reasons. You know, we just, we just talked about. Yeah, no, that makes absolute sense. Yes. <laughs> I know. Actually, I've, I've even uh, read a few articles on uh, even phone systems and customer service programs that are all driven by these, uh, these AI engines that have voices attached to them. And you can actually ask it when you're on a phone calling to pay your credit card or make your next uh, timeshare acquisition. You can say, hey, am I talking to you? Are you an AI model? And these systems are supposed to respond accordingly, which I think is mind blowing. I mean, that's yeah, like the yeah. ethical thing to do, but I'm sure, I'm sure some gray market, you know, AI system is, gray market like, of course I'm a human. Of course right? I'm a human, exactly. You get to go through like a Turing test with these systems, right? Like, can you trick me and believe you're really a machine or not? Yeah. Um, okay, no. So, so AI, I think we're talking about it a whole lot. We will be talking about it. Um, and I, naturally with what we are releasing with Charlotte, as you mentioned earlier, our AI model, I think, you know, just correct me. On my thinking here, it Charlotte will ultimately be a combination of that, um, you know, assistant where Charlotte will be looking at incidents, detections, looking at data coming off of EDR, and ultimately summarizing what we're observing, making recommendations. I'm assuming for remediation and actions. Is that another area? Yeah, making recommendations and basically, you know, prepared to run it for you. But our design philosophy, as as we talked about, I'm. I'm for the foreseeable future, unless the technology radically changes or evolves, or there's new generations that, you know, we can control for things like hallucinations um, in actual generated content. There's, there's ways we're already using these systems to account for and control um, for these kind of issues, the way we've designed and architected. But when it, when it comes to use cases like, hey, create a, remit, uh, create a PowerShell script that fixes this issue and then go run it on 100,000 endpoints, I'm not going to allow it to just do that without you first signing off as the end user. Here is the script. Now, I, mm. I can't stop you from not looking at what it's going to do. And you may miss it, you know, doing a format C command and you just say run, but you know, you're going to have to at least opt into running it before it goes and does the thing. Yeah. yeah. But certainly creating it for you first, um, and having a high degree of confidence that it, it should work, but let's double check the machines work before you go and do it. No. Yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely one of the, uh, you know, the, the use cases we're targeting. This is fascinating. So I know we have a lot more, again, we will be covering in future episodes around AI, uh, especially as use cases become a lot more. You're going to have to have recorded. me back so we can talk about how you securely and safely use these systems. I just hope, I probably just scared the crap out of everyone on how you can't <laughs> trust these things. And I, I wouldn't if you're just, you know, using them as a black box. But if you surround the black box with the right design paradigms, which... That'll be another conversation. Yeah, I think you can actually do some pretty impressive things with it safely. So I think that's another really great uh, topic that we can cover uh, in another episode. Uh, Ilya, I want to say thank you so much for joining this episode of the Adversary Universe podcast. Any any last words for the listeners on AI? I know you're, we're going to have you back on for a deeper dive into some AI use cases, but anything that we can leave our listeners with, um, you know, on on you know AI in general and 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 some things to expect, um, you know, over the next few months. Oh, that's an open-ended question. Yeah. Um, you sure know, is. I would just, I would just say for, you know, there's typically two camps of people and with technologies like these, there's, you know, the diehard true believers, you know, the, 
like the uh, yeah, the cryptocurrency maximalist, you know, in <laughs> sure. the Bitcoin world, yeah. like yeah. it's going to solve all our problems. Then there's the other, yeah, you know, the other side of the coin, which is this, it's going to destroy us all. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah. it's uh, a bunch of hype. It's a bunch of smoke and mirrors. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to use any of them. I mean, like like most things in life, I mean, the reality is somewhere in the gray. I think the the thing people need to understand is these technologies are here. They're real. They're not perfect, but they're going to get better. They're going to get better very quickly, and they're going to be put into use, whether you like it or not. Right? It's the genie's out of the bottle, right? The, the toothpaste is out of the <laughs> tube. Can't put it back in. Um, so it behooves us all as you know, industry professionals, as technologists, as defenders to take them seriously and learn about how they work, learn about their strengths, their weaknesses, their risks, like anything else. Um, because again, they're, they're here. They're here to stay. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Okay. You've heard it here first uh, on the Adversary Universe podcast. Ilya Zaitsev, Global CTO at CrowdStrike. Uh, thank you so much for, for coming on. Dasvidaniya. Dasvidaniya. Here we go. There's our language <laughs> for this episode. We'll catch you on the next side on the Adversary Universe podcast. I'm Christian Rodriguez. I'm here with Ilya Zaitsev. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to our podcast and head over to CrowdStrike.com forward slash adversaries to learn more about the many bad guys we track. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Adversary Universe Podcast. This is the Adversary Universe Podcast.